Well, I've been given Elizabeth. This is cool. I like that. I don't know who's uh, clever enough to do stuff like that, but that's really cool. I've been given Elizabeth, and I have never preached on Elizabeth in my life. <laughs> and uh, so that's good. I had to break some new ground, and hopefully it's all right. But uh, Elizabeth... And uh, I found out that really, in some respects, it probably should have been a woman's preaching this message today rather than me, because it's the story of a woman in Scripture. And, uh, you know, women experience some things that us blokes, you know, it's just foreign to us. Do you know what I mean? It's just foreign to us. Now, I'm going to share something with you now, and some of you are probably not going to believe this. You know, some of you are going to think, oh, he's pulling our leg. Uh, but this is absolutely the truth. It's something I've never admitted publicly before. But I never have been pregnant. <laughs> you, you, you would never guess, would you? <laughs> and uh, the story that we're going to read today is a story about pregnancy. I was actually supposed to be here a couple of weeks ago, but... Uh, uh, several weeks ago, I think three weeks ago, I don't know. And, uh, but I rang Josh, I said, hey Josh, you know, can, uh, can I take a rain check? Because we had a chance to go to Melbourne and see our son and his family over there because we've got a brand new granddaughter over there and uh, wanted to go and meet her and so we did, we went and meet her. Her name is Faith Ashland. And uh, pregnancies, oh my goodness. This was their second child, we've got Six grandchildren now, so we're trying to chase down the rucks, but uh, (laughs) they're still out in front of us. But uh, their first little little one, when he was born, you know, mum went straight from um, the delivery room to the operating room, you know, and uh, I'm glad I didn't know it. You know, because then you worry. You know, we just hear about things. You know, we're on the other side of the country. We just hear about things later. And I'm glad I didn't know. Anyway, this time, they decided, we're going to have the baby at home. And I started praying more. And uh, (laughs) I've never been pregnant. I don't know what goes on, you know. And this is secret women's business. And, uh, And I'm just thinking, oh, God, you know, just protect and preserve and all of the rest. And, and uh bring mother and child safely to birth. And I can tell you that God did that. Brought mother and baby safely to birth. And faith was born in their lounge room, you know, on the 4th of October. No midwife got there. She didn't make it. No paramedics got there. They didn't make it. The ambulance didn't get there. They didn't make it. It was just Aaron and (laughs) and Cassie and bang. Uh, But both are very healthy and both are very good. So we're just really glad. Secret women's business, pregnancy, children and birth. This is what this story is about. And when I had to uh, preach on Elizabeth, I said, I don't even know there's much in the Bible about Elizabeth. And so I went through, and actually there's a lot. It's in Luke chapter 1, and if you haven't read Luke chapter 1, perhaps go through and spend some time uh, this week. But I'll have a look. I think I'll stand over here so I can read it with you. But... uh, I actually pulled all the verses out. It's too, too long to read the whole chapter, so we're not going to try and read the whole chapter. I've just pulled out the relevant verses, but there's actually still a whole lot of them. So in the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. 
Aaron was the first high priest. Aaron was the brother of Moses. And now, so she comes from the high priestly line. She comes from quite a distinguished family. But actually, it doesn't mean much, really, does it? I mean, it'd be like me saying, well, I, you know, I'm a descendant of Richard III, you know, in the 14th or the 12th century. Well, whoopee-doo. <laughs> you know, Richard III's probably got 120,000 descendants and I'm just one nobody along with all the rest of the nobodies. But, you know, maybe this was something that she claimed, you know, I was a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says, was righteous. And then it gives us some definition about what that is. They kept the Lord's commands, kept all the Lord's decrees. In other words, in life and in worship, they were trying to serve God. In life and in worship, they are trying to do God's will. In life and in worship, they were following Him. And it says that they are doing it blamelessly. I, I, I have a bit of trouble with that word. Does anyone else have any trouble with that word? Blamelessly. You know, I look at my own life and I think, well, you're not blameless, Michael. Blameworthy, maybe, but not blameless. Uh, blamelessly. It doesn't mean perfectly. You know, there's no one perfect, is there? Except Christ. No one's perfect, but it just means that you keep coming back. You keep returning. You turn and you return and you come back again. You might have wandered for a bit, but you get back to where you should be. You say, oh gosh, you know, there's that old hymn, Prone to Wander. Uh, I can't even remember what the hymn is, but Prone to Wander. Oh, I, I, I can identify with that hymn, but you keep coming back. Keep coming back. And they, they did that over many years. But then it says, but they were childless. Something else we find out about Elizabeth. Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and now they're both very old. So even when she was young, found that she couldn't have children. And now, of course, that, that time's passed, and now they're very old. But nevertheless, there must have been heartache in there, hey? Must have been sorrow in there. Must have been some sadness in that. And yet somehow they didn't give up. Somehow they continued. Somehow they turned and returned and kept going. They were both very old. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. I'm standing on the right side. Oh, that's a good choice. Uh, well, my right. <laughs> And when Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. I reckon they would have been praying for children like decades ago. Decades have gone by. I would have thought, yeah, that's one prayer that didn't get answered. You know, or that's not just one prayer. That was a, the same prayer over and over and over and over again. And I don't reckon that prayer ever got answered. But all of a sudden, decades later, here comes the angel and says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. I looked up, what does John mean anyway? Such a common name. Well, it's not quite so common now. 
Uh, when I was growing up, I think we had three Johns in the class, but I don't think there's any Johns in my kids' grandkids' classes. And uh, It means Yahweh is gracious. God is gracious. And when his time of service was completed, you know, he was on the roster in the temple. They had rosters even back then, eh? When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Yeah, maybe she was embarrassed. Maybe she's thinking, oh, what are people going to say now? But actually, look, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh shows favor. You know, there's a bit of a play on words that he's shown his favor to me. He's taken away my disgrace. I wonder what that means. We know that back in the day, having children was, was so important. Why was having children so important back then? Uh, because when you had children, uh, you, had, you had somebody to help run the farm. You had somebody to help uh, earn some income. You had somebody to help look after you when, when you were old. You had somebody. I mean, we, we want to have children. We delight in our children and there's something of, of joy and satisfaction when we have children, hopefully. And, uh, but children was, were even more necessary. In those days. And if you didn't have children, people would look at you and say, well, why not? What have you done? It became a sign of God's disfavor. It became a sign that, you know, maybe God's not very happy with you. You are under a cloud. You are a bit suspect. What's the matter with you anyway? And this sense of disgrace, this sense of shame would attach and especially to the woman. What's wrong with me? It was always her fault. What's wrong with me? And now as an older woman, Elizabeth can say, in these days, he's shown his favor and he's taken away this disgrace. Favor. Instead of shame. Now, it never was a disfavor from God. I mean, they were righteous. They were keeping all of God's commands. They were blameless in his decrees. They were, it wasn't the fact that they had some secret sin hidden away, you know, that God was judging them. And No. The story is that the people who, and even Elizabeth herself, who, who thought of this as shameful, were wrong. But now God has taken away. Then that the story of Zechariah and the angel finishes. Now you've got another appearance of an angel, this time to Mary. But even in the middle of that story to Mary, there's a reference to Elizabeth. Then the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit, you know, the angel had said, you're going to have a baby. And she said, no way. How can that happen? I'm still a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And now the angel sort of reveals a secret. <laughs> Even Elizabeth, your relative, we don't know what relative. Was she a cousin? Was she an auntie? Maybe an auntie because she's, you know, Mary's quite young. 
Elizabeth is now very old. You know, very old in those days might have meant 40s. <laughs> might have meant 50. Mate, if you were 50, you are really ancient. You know, life expectancy was not great. <laughs> you know, so she was really old. She was in her 40s. Oh, my goodness. How many of you feel ancient now? <laughs> Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word of God will ever fail. And so Mary got ready and hurried to the hill town, sorry, to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child that you shall bear. I don't know how long it would have taken Mary as a young woman to get ready. Well, that actually, I've had a daughter. I know how long it takes a young woman to get ready. <laughs> but, you know, she would have had to make some arrangement, wouldn't she, with her parents, you know, getting someone to go with her up to see her, uh, her relative, who, whatever kind, let's just say it was an auntie, uh, go and see her auntie. Uh, she would have, that would have taken some time. It would have taken some time to travel. How much time? She, she was already six months pregnant when the angel said to Mary, your relative is six months. Now she's taken some time and, and she's gone and she greets Elizabeth. And as soon as Mary's voice comes to Elizabeth, something happens. Again, uh, those of you who have had children will recognize this of the child moving about. And uh, the child baby leaps in a womb. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she speaks prophetically, blessed to you. You are so blessed. You are blessed amongst all women. Why? Because of that baby the particular baby, this particular child that you will bear. And Elizabeth continues, but why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There's prophetic insight going on here, isn't there? She is seeing Mary, but she is also seeing the significance of what's going on for Mary. Yeah? The mother of my Lord. I don't know how many people Mary would have told as an unwed mother. You know, if in parts of the Middle East today, you can still be executed for that. You can still be executed for being an unwed mother. Back in those days, it was dangerous. It was scandalous. It was shameful. Mary, we think, was probably 14, 15 years of age. Just a young woman. But now her auntie, with prophetic insight, filled with the Holy Spirit, has this inspiration, says, You are the mother of my Lord. And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in the womb leaped for joy and blessed this, this prophetic utterance that uh, Elizabeth has, blessed are you among women, blessed is this child, and now blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill 
his promises to her. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have a baby, she gave birth to a son. As I look at that, it looks like Mary went home and then Elizabeth had the baby. But as I look at the, the timings, I kind of think Mary probably would have stayed right through for the birth. By now, she would be starting to show, wouldn't she? She would be starting to get a little bit bigger. She stayed right through for the birth, I think. And then she went home and Elizabeth had a baby. She gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. Just like Elizabeth blamed God for this blessing. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? They acknowledged God and gave him the glory. Now the neighbours, these are perhaps the same neighbours who used to look with a bit of shame. Now are looking and giving God the glory that the Lord has shown a great mercy. They shared their joy. I think if Monica got pregnant at this age, I'm not sure that it would be a time of great joy. <laughs> I'd be thinking, oh my goodness, you know. I was worn out when I was young, imagine now. But, uh, and on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the boy and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but now mum speaks up. Uh-uh, no, he is to be called John. They said, you know, they're still wanting to <laughs> bypass her, aren't they? Still wanting to put her in a place. Who are you to speak up? They said, there's no one of your relatives who has that name. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. You know, he couldn't talk. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. So that's the story, Elizabeth's story. And as we've gone through Elizabeth's story, we've seen a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, Yeah, that's right. As we look at the Gospel of Luke and Luke chapter 1, we can see that Luke's doing something funny. He's actually got two stories and he's weaving them together. He's got the story of the birth of Jesus and he's got the story of the birth of John. And he's weaving these two stories together. Both stories are significant. Obviously, we would say the story of Jesus is the more significant, wouldn't we? Uh, The story of Jesus is central. And yet the story of Jesus comes alongside the story of John. And uh, we see that we've got the story of John, we've got the story of Jesus, but we've also got the two stories of their mothers. We've got the story of Elizabeth, and we've got the story of Mary. We've got the story of Zechariah, John's father, but we don't actually have the story of Joseph. Uh, That's where there's a little bit of a distinction here. We have the story of Zechariah, which is wild as well. In fact, in Luke's gospel, we have a focus on Mary. In Matthew's gospel, we have a focus on Joseph. So if you want to hear Joseph's story, you've got to go to the gospel of Matthew. Excuse me. You've got the big story. This is the big story of God's purposes. This is the big story of what God's up to in the world. This is the big story of Christ being born. Uh, when Christ is born in Luke chapter 2, the heavens are open, the shepherds in the field hear the angels sing, saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace to those of goodwill, to those to whom God's favour has been shown. This is a cosmic story. This is a global story. This is a public story. This is the story of God coming to planet earth with hope for the whole of humanity. 
God coming to change the world. The big story. But within the big story, then you've got the little story. You've got the story of this one family, of this one lady, of Elizabeth. On the one hand, universal salvation. On the other hand, this story of a woman whose life has been marked with sadness and heartache. And yet she has managed to stay faithful. Yet she has managed to have hope in the midst of heartache. She's been able to stay steadfast in the midst of sorrow. And God intersects her little story. I see something here that Luke is saying that our stories, our little stories, are taken up and made a part of his big story. And it doesn't matter how little our story is. It's still a part. You know, it's a part of the mosaic of his grand global story. God captures our story and lifts us up and makes us a part of his story and what he's doing in the world. So we've got the big story. We've got the little story. We've got who was Elizabeth. I've actually done that, I think, as we've gone through the verses. We've done all of that. What do these women have in common? Next time you're in a quiz night or trivial pursuit and somebody asks you this, what do these women have in common? You'll know. You know, what does Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Manoah's wife, we don't even know her name, Manoah's wife, Hannah, Elizabeth and Mary, what do all these women have in common? Anyone going to guess? Well, they've all had babies, that's right. <laughs> Somebody else said something? Miraculous babies, yeah, that's right. That's right, miraculous babies. Sarah and Abraham. Are co- Actually, Sarah's story is pretty close to Elizabeth's story. Because Sarah could never have children when she was young. And then she got beyond that age. And now all of a sudden God shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a boy. And she laughed. She just laughed. She said, you're an, she, laughing at God. You're a nutcase. You know, really? And, uh, but she did. And then Rebecca married Isaac. And for 20 years they were married and no children. And Isaac cried out to God. And then she had twins. Twins. Two nations are at war. You know, the twins were fighting each other in the womb. And she said, what's going on? And she prayed, said, Lord, what's happening? You know, and... Uh, the Lord spoke to us, said, two nations are, you know, striving in your womb and the younger, sorry, the elder shall serve the younger. And then there's Rachel. And Rachel too, the scripture says that the Lord had closed her womb. And she cried out to God and the Lord opened her womb. Now, we don't have time to go into all of this. And she had Joseph, Manoah's wife was out one day and some angel appeared to her, said, you're going to have a boy. She couldn't have children. She ran and got a husband, said, some bloke says, I'm going to have a baby. He says, where is he? (laughs) (laughs) Where is he? I want to meet this guy. And uh, anyway, he did. And she had a boy called Samson. 
And then Hannah's story, Hannah's story is like Mary's story in some ways. And Hannah has a song like Mary has a song and there's common themes amongst them. Hannah gives birth to Samuel. And then you've got the two stories that we've talked about today, Elizabeth and Mary. Seven supernatural interventions into the life of women so that they could have a child. In each case, they had been unable to have children. In each case, they had been sorrowful, so sad. And yet in each case, somehow they had managed to keep going. Saying, God, you know, I've known women over the, over the years. I've known some women. I, I just, just a couple of months ago, well, probably a few months ago now. It's early this year. Uh, I met this fellow and I said, oh, you know, who, who are you? And he told me his name and I said... Are your parents so-and-so-and-so-and-so? He said, yes. I said, oh, I used to know them many years ago. I used to know them many years ago. And uh, I didn't say it to him, but I knew the story. She had been unable to have children. And one day, Monica was just in the middle of a, of a worship service. She felt, I feel like the Lord has told us to pray for women who want to have babies. And she said, she prayed for the lion and she said, that particular woman, when I prayed for her, it was like the spirit of God moved. And that little boy was born. He's now a children's minister in one of our Baptist churches. But I've known other women and they've prayed. <laughs> and they've cried out to God. And yet for one reason or another, God, not, God alone knows they've never had children. And they've had to say, okay, God, I'm going to serve you anyway. What do you have for me now that this is the situation? In these particular cases, God intersected with their lives. But in each case, it was because he was bringing to birth, metaphorically as well as literally, not just a baby, but somebody who was going to have a significant impact on his purposes in the world. You know, through Sarah, you get Isaac and the, and the child of promise and the nation of Israel. Through, for example, uh, Rachel Joseph, who becomes a type of Christ, uh, the saviour of his people. Through Manoah's wife, again, Samson, who becomes the saviour of his people. Through Hannah comes Samuel, who becomes the judge of the people, uh, the greatest of the prophets up until Elizabeth's child. Because Jesus would say later of John the Baptist, no one greater has ever been born of woman than John the Baptist, her child. She wanted a son. She got a prophet. She got the forerunner. Mary and Elizabeth are in this line of these women for whom something remarkable has happened. And then Mary goes and visits uh, Elizabeth. And for, for centuries, this has been, you know, you have the Annunciation where the angel appears to Mary and announces the virgin birth. And then you have the visitation. That's what the, uh, the church has called it for centuries now. The visitation of Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. I wonder, and this is where I think as a bloke, I run out of, uh, I run out of insight. What would have they have been talking about for those three months? 
What would they have been dreaming about? Two women, one a young woman, one an older woman, both pregnant, both pregnant supernaturally. Of course, Mary's pregnancy is by far, of those seven women, Mary's is by far the most unusual, isn't it? All the rest of them, it was just conception in the normal way. With Mary's, of course, it was very unusual. Both of them are spirit-filled. The Spirit of God has come upon them. Both of them have had prophetic insight and sing prophetic songs. Both of them. wonder what their fellowship consisted of. Many uh, commentators look at that visitation. They say, here we have a picture of Christian community. In the fellowship of these women, we have a picture of Christian community. In the fellowship of these women, we have a picture of what it is to be church, where two or three are gathered in my name. Well, here is just two. Here is just two. But they're gathered, not just because they're women, not just because they're pregnant, not just because their pregnancies are extraordinary and supernatural, but because they are recipients of a promise. The Word of God has come to them, and they are in fellowship around the promise. They are the receivers of the promise. And not only are they the receivers of a promise, but they are the believers in a promise. We had a woman join our team at the college early this year. And, uh, you know, we had this position. It was a full-time position. And uh, we've been advertising for ages. It's hard, hard to get staff at the moment, you know, with uh, full employment in the country. It's hard to get good staff. And... Um, we, we'd been advertising this position for months and she actually left another job. She, well, she didn't leave it yet. She applied for our position. Uh, we offered her the position. She accepted the position. But then she had to, you know, give four weeks notice at the role where she was working. Uh, she was working for a government department. And uh, in that four weeks before, between the time when we offered her the position and, and then she uh, started the position, something happened. Goodness knows how it happened, but she became pregnant. <laughs> Inexplicable. <laughs> and it was to her especially. <laughs> it was not planned. Two weeks after she started, she came and saw our administrator and said, I am so sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and uh, we said, well, this is wonderful. And this is life. And we rejoiced and she was so sick, poor lady. <laughs> anyway, I watched her, you know, especially once she got past the sickness, you know, starting to plan, starting to dream, starting to think, who is this little person who's growing on the inside? What is this little person going to be like? I don't know whether they knew it was a boy or a girl. She didn't tell any of us. Uh, maybe they were just waiting. I can't remember now. A little girl came eventually. And uh, I remember saying to her, you know, just before she finished work, when we were talking, and she said, I just would like to meet her or meet it or whatever she said. I would just, the child was there. I wonder what Mary and Elizabeth would have been talking about. This is a time of waiting this is a time of hope and expectation. This is a time of busyness and getting ready. This is a time of preparations. This is a time of reorienting the whole of life because something amazing is about to happen. And those two women talking about it, talking about it, 
thinking, dreaming, laughing, praying, planning, working, talking, hoping, waiting. The visitation. What can we learn as I come in to finish? We've got to finish, don't we? Advent. Perhaps Luke is, by telling the story of two women, two pregnancies, is letting us know that Advent, in some ways, is similar to pregnancy. That Advent is this time of waiting. But you're waiting for what you already have. We already have Christ, and yet we're waiting for Christ. We already have salvation, and yet we're waiting for the fullness of our salvation. We already have the promise of the kingdom, and yet we're waiting for the fullness of that promise. We're in Advent. And just as these two women were filled with life, but still waiting. And not just waiting, but working. Not just waiting and working, but praying and trusting and busy and hoping and longing. Both of them would have children that were executed. Both of them would have children that we still talk about today. Longing bringing forth something into this world. And together, this picture of the two women become a, a picture of those not just united because of their common circumstance, but united by the promise of God. A picture of the church. And the little story, faithfulness matters. Even in spite of her heartache and sorrow, she was steadfast. And she chose, I'm going to serve God all my days. And she would have done that if the angel had never come because she was doing that before the angel came, yeah? We have great need. I think we have great need in our world today for saints. Saints are not those who are perfect. Saints are those who follow Saints are those who will say, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I'm going to serve Christ. I'm going to see God's purpose and I'm going to serve God's purpose all of my days. We need that. We need those who will live the life of a disciple the way these two women live the life of a disciple. Luke has chosen two women and lifted them up and shown them this is what an ideal disciple looks like. We need that today. Men and women who will follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. And a big story. Why does Luke put John and Jesus together so closely? Their story belongs together. Jesus is obviously central. But the Messiah is not without his witness. The Messiah is always with his witness. The witness is the one who points to Jesus Christ. In John's gospel, John, uh, Jesus referred to John. He was a bright and burning witness. And you delighted to dwell in his light. Something like that. John 5, 35, I think. Uh, 
the Messiah is not without his witness. And we, the fellowship of the promise, we, the people of God, are also the witnesses. Elizabeth talked about the mother of my Lord. She recognized what was central. And she lived for that. And so too do we. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of Elizabeth. This amazing story, Lord. This amazing woman. Lord, we really don't know everything that she went through. She had to raise a child who would be a prophet and forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she did it. Father, help us to see that the small things in our lives matter. Help us to see, Lord, that the small decisions that we make, the company that we keep, the things that we believe matter, not just for our lives, but in the big picture and in the big story of what you're doing in the world. Lord, help us in this time of Advent to nurture within our own hearts, Lord, to let grow within our own hearts the way a child grows within the womb. Allow, Lord, we pray, a hope, a trust, a courage, an anticipation, eager to grow and arise within us, that we would see the purposes of God in the world and in our lives that we would serve the purposes of God in the world and in our lives. We ask you for this grace in Jesus' name. Amen.